millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I've been a ranger for well over 30 years. At some point, they decided that they would take some of the workload off my feet and let me do most of my work at the visitor center, which is about a third of the way into the natural reserve. My body appreciates their consideration for the condition that I'm in, but my mental health doesn't. Keeping on the move and always on patrol was my way of coping with things. Working out of the visitor center gave me more time to think, and that's not necessarily a healthy thing. Suffice to say, I'm divorced and my kids, well, they don't want to talk to me. All while I'm facing my twilight years all by myself. I'm not trying to draw attention here. Those will be necessary details in just a few short seconds. They forced me to take coffee breaks if I had to go too hard for too long. I was taking one such compulsory coffee break on one of the outdoor wooden park benches completely by my self. People don't come to the park to look around the visitor center anymore. Besides the brochures of park information, the only thing the park has to offer is the same four or five fun facts 
and they've been hanging out for a long time. In fact, everybody has seen them. Nobody wants to see them again. I was quickly yanked out of my thoughts when I heard a voice that I hadn't heard for over 15 years, but recognized it instantly. It was the voice of my ex-wife, and she was calling my name. My brain was trying to come up with a rational explanation as to why I was hearing this. And then I heard my daughter's voice come out to me also, except she didn't sound like the 43-year-old woman that she had grown into. Instead, she sounded exactly the way she did when she was around nine years old. I was anchored to the park bench for a while, terrified to move. Just in case I was having a heart attack or a stroke or experiencing something else that would mess with my mind. Perhaps I was dying. Perhaps this was a practical joke. But who could mimic those voices so well and know my name at the same time? I decided to try a more tactical approach. I would come towards the voices, but I wouldn't answer them. There were long pauses between each call, as if my wife and daughter were waiting for me to answer. But then they would call out again, and it was in those moments that I would pick up on the direction that they were coming from. Unless my ears were lying to me, it sounded like they were coming from the woods that came right up against the physical building of the visitor center. I stepped to the trees quietly, resting when there was silence and walking when I heard the voices. I approached the opening in the trees. They couldn't have been more than 14 feet in diameter. It was also clustered by some low-growing shrubs. I remained hidden as best as possible. It didn't sound like the voices were coming from nearby. They were coming from that very small clearing. I didn't see how it could be possible. If my wife and daughter were there, they'd be visible clearly. Unless they were lying down on the shrubbery. So I stared for what felt like forever. But then, a shape slowly rose out of the growth and it appeared to have two large black eyes that were proportionate to its head, the same way the eyes of a fly are proportionate to its head. Everything about it was just a little too long. The neck, the shoulders, the arms. It did not stand up to its full length, just high enough to get a good look around before opening its mouth and speaking with both the voices of my wife and my daughter in one, calling out to me, asking where I was and what was taking so long. Then, without noticing me, it slowly sank back down. I could see its pale, ribbed back bent over and underneath the topmost of the leaves where it did its best to try and stay hidden. I took up my pistol and I shot as many times as I could before I realized that there was a problem. At least two good hits landed on its flesh before it sprang up and ran. I don't know if the other three or four shots hit. Miraculously, I was able to slip back into the center and not have to offer an explanation to anybody important. The older girl there, that works behind the front desk, asked if she had heard something dangerous and I just told her that I saw some kids setting off fireworks. My ex-wife may be many things, but somebody with the ability, let alone the intelligence, to send some strange, forced monster after me and lure me out with the sound of her voice isn't one of them. After that incident, I've kind of given into the urging of my superiors to spend more time in that area and less time tromping around outside. There are clearly more forces at work in this world that know more about me and know me better than I know myself, and the less I have to tangle with them, the better.
I apologize in advance for my story being so long, but I figured I would give you the unfiltered version. A husband and wife taking a scenic drive through the Ligonier Valley saw something very strange and unexpected on the afternoon of November 23, 2015. At about 2 p.m., they were traveling on a rural road about two miles from Ligonier. The driver of the car noticed some movement in some bushes on the right side of the road. Suddenly, an animal exited the bushes and began to trot from right to left in front of the vehicle. The driver stopped about 10, 20 feet from the animal to obtain a better look. The couple was startled by what they were seeing. This was no ordinary animal, as they could see the outline of the shape of the animal, but it was not solid and there was no color or fur observed. The husband, as soon as he saw the creature, thought that it was somewhat like a fox, but could not be sure since no physical features could be seen. His wife also agreed that it was a four-legged creature similar to a fox. The body of the animal was estimated to be about 18 inches to 24 inches long and had a tail that was about one quarter or half the length of the body. The animal was a lot smaller than a deer. The husband told me that the creature had a smoky veil shape. His wife, however, got a better and longer look at the animal as it entered the road and trotted in front of the car. She told me that she could see through it and that there was a specific area within the body shape that was like an energy pattern. It was like a smoky heat wave. They watched as the animal continued to cross the road and entered some brush on the left side of the road and was not seen again. The couple didn't hear any sound or notice any smell during the four or five second observation. Location is a campground that may or may not be currently accessible. I know it was closed gated off from the road for quite a while a good few years ago. Factory Shoals Campground, a good 20 minutes outside of Covington, Georgia. Yes, that's where they filmed the Vampire Diaries. Anyway, Factory Shoals Recreation Area, the campground. I'll say that I've never seen many other people out at this huge park, even on the nicest days, but a friend lives in a subdivision down the road. The area is sporadically rural, if that makes sense. You'll come across a school, a gas station, and a pretty big neighborhood, but nothing else for another six or seven minutes down the road. The campground is next to the Alcavi River, in order to reach it, you have to drive through Newton Factory Cemetery, an old cemetery with mostly older graves sitting on the side of the road, slightly hidden by trees, smack in nowhere. I've often wondered about this. Graves date back to the 1800s, maybe illegible ones or even older. And at some point somebody says, hey, let's put a road through the cemetery and create a campground. So you go down this janky road through the cemetery about a quarter mile, and here you are, barely managed campground. There's maybe seven sites, mostly next to the river. I'm with a friend. It's a nice evening, the light bustling of the river is calming. There's only one other site occupied a bit down, no street lamps. The only light you have is the fire and your flashlight. So when we're headed to bed, fire extinguished, it's pitch black. You can see the stars, there must not have been a moon that night. 
I'm laying down and close my eyes and realize it's too damn quiet. Deafening silence. I jump back up and go to my friend's tent and tell her I'm suddenly feeling creeped. We both realize the bugs and even the river have gone silent. To be fair the river is only about 8 feet across and about 2 feet deep here we had commented on the peaceful lull of the river all through the evening. With curiosity stronger than fear we walk over toward the water and observe a mist or fog lifting from the water. We are a little anxious and don't want to get right up on the bank to see if we can see the water moving. So my friend remember a light up fishing lure type thing she has in her bag, fetches it, tosses it in and it just sits there, it doesn't flow down. So it's like the river came to a complete stop in its movement, is releasing a thick mist, and it's completely dark and silent except for that lure and its faint red glow barely visible through the thick mist. We both kind of start muttering that we should maybe pack up quick and leave before I see the spark and hear a gun firing not 15 feet away from us, Shine a light for a split second before we're both in the car, it's cranked, and we're tearing out of there. I didn't see anyone either from shining my light or from the headlights, and I about had a panic attack coming through the cemetery after that with the elongated shadows from headstones and monuments. I didn't sleep that night even after crashing on my friend's couch. Logic tells me the quiet could have come from a prowling human with a gun, but the mist and a river current stopping. And what if the hellhater followed us? I didn't even gather my tent and sleeping bag before going home the next day. I luckily had placed my bag in my car for some reason instead of taking it inside. So my only loss was the small old tent, the sleeping bag, a battery powered lantern and a camp chair. So it's maybe a year later and I'm in the area with my husband and he doesn't believe me about a campground on the other side of a cemetery. It's midday and I decide to show him, pull up, see that the road is now blocked off beyond the graves with a sign that states the campground is currently closed. We get out a minute to walk around the cemetery. It's a dirt road, there's a lot of kicked up dust settling. So much so that my husband asks if there's water in my trunk, he's coughing. I go to get it cursing under my breath at the thick layer of settled dust already on my precious sports car and notice. A very clean and distinct fresh tiny handprint on my trunk. It had to be fresh because I stood there and watched the still settling dirt start to stick and fill it in. We'd never made it more than a few feet from the car. There's nobody else out there. Again, we book it out of there. I know there's a legend about parking cars on hills in certain areas at night and you'll find little handprints on the back and your car will have moved. My car didn't move, but those were legit fresh little handprints. I'm not sure if the cemetery brings playful souls, the entire area holds on to some type of energy, or there's just some incredibly sneaky people that hang out in minimally trafficked woods and backroads. I'll reiterate that this is part of a park, a recreational area that has grills and picnic tables about three minutes down the road, and I never saw anyone there the few times I visited aside from my friend, husband, or the other tent. I saw further down the river when we tried to camp. I've never gone back. I've been to other places in Newton Co. though that give off similar vibes. The Alcovy Trestle, Gaither Plantation, 
a random church smack dab in the middle of the woods. That creepy old gas station, that's the story. I used to live in Japan, a place that is an enchanting blend of the ancient and the modern. A friend and I decided to take a trip to the mountains, a respite from the bustling city life. This friend of mine was a fellow adventurer, someone who shared my love for nature and the mysteries it held. One evening during our mountain stay, we decided to go for a night walk, a ramble through the unfamiliar terrain under the starlit sky. The mountains were a maze of paths and trails, each leading to something new and unexplored. As we ambled along, we stumbled upon a Torii gate, standing alone, its vermilion columns stark against the dark mountainside. But it was a Torii gate unlike any other we had seen. Instead of leading to a shrine or temple as they usually do, this one was met with an impassable rock face. It was an enigma, a puzzle that the mountains had thrown our way. Torii gates are symbolic passageways in Shintoism, marking the transition from the profane to the sacred. But what sacredness could a rock face hold? In our shared confusion, we both looked up at the sky, as if seeking answers from the cosmos. And that's when we saw it. A great multicolored light, hovering just above us, close enough to touch yet ethereal in its beauty. It was like a celestial gas, shimmering in the full spectrum of colors, casting an otherworldly glow on the Torii and the rock face. Then, as suddenly as it had appeared, it disappeared, leaving behind a sky full of stars and two awestruck observers. We stood there, staring at the place where the light had been, a sense of something incredibly significant settling over us. We felt changed, though we couldn't pinpoint exactly how. It was a very odd feeling, like we had touched something beyond our comprehension. Neither of us knew what had happened that night, under the shadow of the Torii and the glow of the mysterious light. Yet, it remains one of my most unforgettable experiences, a tale of the mountains that I carry in my heart. The first time I saw the Leviathan, I felt a cold shiver run down my spine. I'm Agent Walker, a combat diver with the U.S. Coast Guard. I've faced plenty of challenges in the deep sea, but this, this was something else. The creature was monstrous, its body twisting and turning beneath the surface of the Atlantic, its dark silhouette blotting out the sunlight. It had risen from the depths and was now a threat to the eastern seaboard. Our mission was simple, in theory neutralize the Leviathan and save the coast. But there was more at stake for me. I was forced to confront my own fears, my own demons. You see, I have a past that not many know about a past shrouded in mystery and filled with creatures of the deep. I've always felt a strange connection with the ocean and its inhabitants, an affinity that was both a blessing and a curse. As our unit prepared for the confrontation, I found myself staring into the Inkai depths, my heart pounding in my chest. I felt a strange kinship with the beast. Just like me, it was a creature of the deep, brought to the surface against its will, feared and misunderstood. The plan was daring. We had to get close enough to the Leviathan to inject it with a powerful sedative, allowing us to steer it back into the deep ocean where it belonged. The task fell to me, the combat diver. 
I was to swim up to the creature, avoid its wrath, and complete the mission. As I plunged into the cold water, my past flashed before my eyes. The memories, the fears, the secrets, they all came crashing down. But I pushed them aside, focused on the task at hand. I swam towards the Leviathan, my heart hammering in my chest. The creature was even more magnificent up close. Its body was covered in ancient scars, a testament to a long life spent in the ocean's depths. Its eyes were filled with a strange intelligence, a silent plea. I could feel its confusion, its fear. It was not the monster we made it out to be. It was just lost, scared. Summoning all my courage, I swam up to it, the syringe in my hand. I plunged it into the creature, and for a moment our eyes met. There was an understanding there, a silent agreement. It knew what I was trying to do. And then it began to descend, its massive body sinking into the darkness. The mission was a success. The Leviathan was back where it belonged, and the eastern seaboard was safe. But more than that, I had confronted my own past, faced my fears. I was not just a combat diver, but a man with a deep connection to the ocean and its creatures. And that connection, that understanding, had saved us all. We were just doing our usual training exercise. I'm Sergeant Thompson, part of a National Guard unit running routine maneuvers in a heavily forested area near a small, secluded town. We were only supposed to be there for a few days, but those few days turned into something I'll never forget. Our first clue something was off was when we found the bodies. They were mauled, torn apart in ways that no normal animal could manage. The townsfolk were terrified, and we quickly found ourselves taking on a role we'd never anticipated. Protectors against something far from routine. The local sheriff told us about the legends, about creatures that roamed the woods when the moon was full. Werewolves, he said, half-joking, half-believing. We laughed it off at first. But then, as night fell and the full moon rose, we heard the howls. They were unlike anything I'd ever heard a chilling mix of man and beast, echoing through the quiet forest. Our laughter quickly faded. Suddenly, the legends didn't seem so funny. We rallied our unit, prepping our military equipment. We were soldiers, trained to handle any threat, even if that threat was straight out of a horror movie. The townsfolk were counting on us, and we weren't about to let them down. The werewolves came as the night deepened. They were swift and brutal, their movements almost a blur under the silver moonlight. Their howls filled the air, their eyes glowed in the darkness. They were terrifying, but we stood our ground. We fought with everything we had. Our bullets seemed to only slow them down, but we kept firing, kept fighting. We used our military training to strategize, to coordinate our attacks. We set traps, created choke points, and used the town's layout to our advantage. The battle was fierce, and we lost some good men and women that night. But we also saved lives. We protected the town's residents, helped them survive the night. And as dawn approached, the howls faded, and the werewolves retreated. We were left standing amidst the quiet town, the full moon setting, and the first rays of sunlight peeking over the horizon. We were bruised and battered, 
but we were victorious. We'd protected the town, neutralized the threat. The following days were a blur of reports and debriefings. Our superiors were skeptical, but the evidence was undeniable. We were hailed as heroes by the town's folk, their gratitude evident in their tear-streaked faces. That training mission turned into something none of us could have ever predicted. It changed us, made us realize just how unpredictable our world could be. We faced down werewolves under a full moon, and we lived to tell the tale. And now, every time the moon is full, I can't help but listen for the howls. There's a certain charm to living in the desert boonies, a charm that's often lost on those who've never experienced the vast emptiness, the silence, and the solitude it offers. My girlfriend lived out there, in a small house surrounded by an endless expanse of sand and shrubs. I'd often spend nights with her, enjoying the peace that the desert night brought. But there was a catch to living in such seclusion. Her house was near a state penitentiary, a place notorious for its frequent escapees. This was back in the day, long before cell phones and digital alerts became commonplace. So the only way the authorities would inform us about a prison break was through police helicopters flying overhead, blaring messages from megaphones. I remember one night distinctly. The desert was quiet, the sky was clear, and we had just drifted off to sleep when we were abruptly awakened by a deafening roar. A police helicopter was flying over our house, its searchlight piercing through the darkness, and a voice was screaming at us from the sky. Attention, attention. An inmate has escaped from the state penitentiary. Please stay indoors and make sure all your doors and windows are locked. In the silence of the desert night, the sound was jarring, even terrifying. We bolted out of bed, hearts pounding in our chests, and ran around the house, checking all the locks and windows, ensuring they were secure. The helicopter continued its rounds, the voice echoed in the desert repeating its warning. We huddled together in the living room, waiting for the commotion to die down, waiting for the silence to return. Those were good times in their own strange way. There were times that tested our courage, times that broke the monotony of our desert life, times that brought us closer together. We were never in any real danger, but the adrenaline, the fear, the excitement, they all made our life out there in the desert boonies a little more thrilling, a little more adventurous. And looking back, I wouldn't have had it any other way. In 1999, I was seven years old, playing in the woods with my friend Charlotte. We were standing at each end of a big log in the woods when I noticed movement in my peripherals. I tried focusing my periphery to catch a detailed look I see similar movement often when we're in the woods, and always disappears more like scatters before I turn to look. My heart skipped a beat when I could make out a group of little people looking up at me as well. I was frozen in the pose I was playing in. After a few seconds I realized Charlotte had stopped narrating out play and was frozen in place as well, staring at me but focusing on them. I'm pretty sure they were dressed because it didn't look like they were all naked. I could tell they knew we were aware of them, and they dispersed as Charlotte moved her eyes. We didn't talk about it until we were in her house, 
We weren't afraid, just confused on our walk home. We wrote out what we saw before talking about it, to see if we saw the same thing. Unfortunately, both our descriptions were so vague, but clothed, less than a foot for sure. One thing we were positive of was to mind our business and to not go searching, which is what our instinct would have usually been. Duh, we thought we found a colony of little people in the woods, but the fact that our reaction was to quietly leave and not even talk about it until behind closed doors and still not even talk out loud but write it. I don't remember being too frightened. In fact, we kind of just accepted it and moved on with a new taste of what this world, universe, is capable of. I watched the Indian in the cupboard later in life which reminded me of these little people, but I no longer saw them by then. Charlotte and I would talk about seeing things out of the corner of our eyes, but could never figure out what it was. Although Charlotte was different, her and her dad were huge hippies tire swing in the kitchen, no TV, and her imagination was so wildly magnificent that it made my mind radiate. I always thought that maybe her narration of our play was so powerful and energetic that we could manifest and see the same thing. Little people were never playing any parts in either of our imaginations. In fact, when we both confirmed what each other saw, we were kind of in awe that we've never even dreamt of tiny people on this universe. My ex-boyfriend was Navajo, and he used to share countless stories from his culture and his childhood with me. One in particular still sends shivers down my spine. When he was a kid, he and his sister loved to play in the dense woodland that bordered their house. They were inseparable, always lost in some grand adventure, a world of their own making. But one day, something strange happened that abruptly ended their woodland escapades. They were deep in their usual game when an eerie feeling washed over them. The woods, usually teeming with sounds of life, fell eerily silent. It was as if the forest itself was holding its breath. Something felt off, but they couldn't quite put their fingers on it. Rattled, they decided to cut their playtime short and rushed home. Their concern was evident, and it didn't go unnoticed by their parents, who decided to seek the counsel of a respected medicine man in their community. The medicine man listened to their story, his face growing more serious as they explained what had happened. When they finished, he nodded sagely and told them, Little people have been watching you as you played. The woods are their home, and you have intruded on their space. It's best not to play over there anymore. The term he used to describe these beings was something like, the genie men, a phrase that always seemed to catch in my ex's throat as he said it, his eyes filled with the memory of that day. I've tried to find more information about these, the genie men, but my efforts have proved fruitless. Still, the story has stayed with me, a reminder of the unseen world that could very well exist just beyond our perception, right there in the untouched corners of the forest. On August 1st, 1987, I, Officer Torgan, responded to a call about a possible drunk driver. When I arrived at the scene, a white male in his early 20s took off running. The incident occurred around 1 a.m. along Highway 44 near Ellington, Missouri. 
I requested backup and began searching the area, but I couldn't find any footprints or tire tracks that the suspect might have left behind. I remember thinking, this is one of the strangest things I've ever put in a report. I returned to my patrol vehicle when suddenly I heard a high-pitched humming sound. To my shock, a large humanoid creature with an extremely fit and strong build stood before me. Its eyes were a deep, piercing black, resembling the pupil-less appearance of a shark. The creature's arms hung down, giving it an ape-like look, while its head was humanoid in shape. The nose was pushed flat against its face with a heavy brow, perhaps from a fall during its lifetime. Its wide mouth was filled with numerous tiny, razor-sharp teeth. Long strands of stringy hair hung from the back of its head, reaching midway down its back. I observed that the creature seemed to have been living in the woods, as its skin was dirty, matted, and gray. It stood about eight feet tall and had very wide shoulders, maybe twice the width of a human's. I was so frightened by the sight that I didn't even think to pursue it. Instead, I simply got back into my patrol car, returned to the station, and filled out a report which I never intended to release, at least publicly. I described the creature as one of the strangest things I've ever put in a report. When it stood before me, it looked like something right out of a horror movie. I know for certain that I saw something very unusual on the night of July 26th while driving home from work. I hadn't been drinking and was completely sober. I also don't drink caffeine or take any type of stimulant or depressant drugs. When my wife saw the tracks, she initially thought they were left by a bear, but we later learned there were no bears in the area. In our front yard, we have a large maple tree with low-hanging branches. The creature I saw at the window was definitely not a bear. It stood on two legs, very unlike how a bear stands, and reached with its arms as if to touch me. It was only about five feet away from the window when we made full eye contact. The experience was terrifying. I don't know for sure what I saw, and my wife is just as certain that she saw it too. I've never seen any type of creature resembling that thing before in my life and I hope to never see one again. Clearly, I'm not alone in this experience, as others like Officer Torjan have shared similar stories. There are things out there that defy the world we live in. Maybe shows like X-Files and Twilight Zone had it right. Back in the mid-90s, I had a close friend named John, who shared my passion for hiking and camping. One weekend, John and his wife, Emily, decided to hike to Indian Prairie Lake to camp and fish for a couple of days. I was unable to join them due to a prior engagement, but they promised to share their adventure with me upon their return. When they came back, their faces were pale and their hands trembled as they recounted their experience. They told me that the area around the lake had been unusually quiet and still, and they couldn't shake the eerie feeling of being watched. As John waded into the lake to cast his fishing line, their normally aggressive dog, Bear, followed him, whining and trying to wrap himself around John's legs. They felt so spooked that they decided to leave after only a short time. A few weeks later, their high school-aged son, Jake, and his friends decided to camp at the same lake. They, too, experienced the same sense of unease, 
and once again, Bear freaked out, this time retreating to the safety of their tent and refusing to come out. Despite the unsettling atmosphere, the boys were determined to stay the night. As darkness fell, they were harassed by something that screamed in the night. They also heard the sound of something being thrown at them. Terrified, they broke camp and left in the wee hours of the morning. I couldn't help but feel intrigued and concerned about the strange occurrences at Indian Prairie Lake. As a former Navy SEAL, my friend Randy was always up for a challenge, so I told him about the mysterious happenings and asked if he wanted to investigate with me. Without hesitation, he agreed. We arrived at the lake, determined to uncover the truth behind the unsettling events. The air was heavy with silence, and we couldn't shake the feeling that we were being watched. We set up camp and waited, Bear lying nervously at our feet. As night fell, we took turns keeping watch. It wasn't long before we heard the same blood-curdling scream that John's son and his friends had described. Randy and I grabbed our flashlights and ventured out into the darkness, Bear reluctantly following behind. We searched the area, but found no signs of what could have produced the scream. However, as we returned to our campsite, we noticed large, unusual footprints near the edge of the lake. They were unlike anything we had ever seen. We continued our investigation the following day, discovering more footprints and what appeared to be evidence of something large moving through the underbrush. As a Navy SEAL, Randy was skilled in tracking, and he was baffled by what he saw. Despite our best efforts, we were unable to determine the source of the strange happenings at Indian Prairie Lake. To this day, the mystery remains unsolved. Years later, I heard that Jake had joined the Marines and was stationed in the Middle East. I often wonder if he still thinks about that eerie night at Indian Prairie Lake and the unknown force that had driven him and his friends away in fear. It was 2008 in San Antonio, Texas. I was on patrol alone one night when I heard a loud thumping sound coming from the back of my squad car. I stopped, got out to investigate, and then suddenly I was faced with something that seemed to come straight out of a horror film. I was terrified and shaken, and this is my story. The district I was patrolling was new to me. It was around 2.20 a.m., and I had just finished checking several convenience doors when the loud thumping sound from the back of my car caused me to pull over. As I stepped out of the vehicle, a large figure burst out from the woods across the street and started running towards me. For a split second, I thought it was a person, but as it got closer, I realized with a chill that it wasn't. The creature was on all fours, covered in hair, with the body of a man and the head of a wolf. It seemed to be wearing a uniform, but as I squinted through the darkness, I realized it was just its thick, matted fur. The creature stopped about thirty feet from me, its eyes boring into mine as though sizing me up. Fear rooted me to the spot. I slammed on my car horn for what seemed like an eternity, hoping someone would come, but no one did. Suddenly, the creature started to charge at me. Overcoming my initial shock, I jumped back into my car and sped off. I was too frightened to share my encounter with anyone. I was afraid they wouldn't believe me, that they would think I was crazy. 
But now, as similar sightings are being reported all over the world, I've decided it's time to share my experience. I hope that my story encourages other officers who have had similar encounters to come forward. This happened ages ago when I was 21. I was a manager for a big box store, but in a town that was an hour drive from me. I lived in a small town and the store was in another small town, both about 12,000 people each. But in order to promote to manager, I had to transfer, which meant doing this drive daily. I had hoped it would be temporary because I dreaded driving this every day, especially late at night because of deer, etc. This was also before cell phones were really the norm. I did have one, but it was one of those ancient bag-style phones, and I had just got it a week or two before. With these phones, you had to plug them into your car lighter in order to have them work, and they had a corded attached handset. Anyway, one night I was driving home, and it was really late, about 1 a.m. The drive is pretty desolate with houses sporadically throughout mixed with sections of wooded areas. About 20 minutes before my town is a random casino in the middle of BFE. I had just passed this casino and a truck pulled out behind me. I didn't think anything of it, but it was noticeable pretty quickly that they had been drinking because of their erratic driving. Because of this, I just figured I'd just put as much room between us as possible. Also to note, as I was going past them, they had their headlights on, of course, and could have easily seen I was a young girl by myself. So the truck comes up behind me at a pretty fast rate of speed and goes to pass me. As they are next to me, they swerve a little towards me, and I just think they are much more drunk than I thought and slowed down so they could easily pass. As soon as they got in front of me, though, they started to slow down, way down. It got to the point that we were going 20 miles per hour in a 55 miles per hour zone and still slowing down like they were trying to stop me. Every time they would get to around 5 miles per hour, I would swerve to the opposite lane and give it some gas like I was going to pass, which would then make them temporarily speed up. I could also see a lot better into the truck at this point. It was an extended cab truck with what appeared to be five or six guys in it. This was during hunting season, so it wasn't out of the norm to see groups of guys acting ridiculous and drunk this time of year. So they were trying to stop me, and I didn't want to necessarily pass given what had just happened. But at a certain point I had to. So I go to try and pass the truck, but it blocks me from doing so by getting in the middle of both lanes. I tried this a couple times with the same results. Then finally I try to floor it and pass in the truck but it tries to run me off the road. I immediately get back behind them and am freaking out at this point. I had tried calling 911, but there was a huge area with no coverage yet and I couldn't get through. After what seemed like forever, I finally get through to them and they send someone out immediately. As I'm on the phone with them, I see car lights in my rear view and am filled with panic because I know this car will inevitably try to pass given we are only going about 30 at this point. Sure as shit the car comes up behind us and goes to pass. And sure as shit the truck actually runs them off the road and into the ditch. I'm telling the 911 dispatcher this, and in a full-blown panic. 
We are getting close to town now, though, and I can see the first stoplight. I wasn't sure what the truck was going to do because our one lane splits into two, and there are gas stations, etc. up ahead. Right as we approach the first light, I see an officer come in the opposite direction, and I start flashing them over and over while telling the dispatcher that I see the officer. The officer makes a U-turn and gets in between me and the truck. He flicks the lights on them to pull them over, and they pull into a gas station at the main intersection of our town. I follow into the gas station to assist the police in whatever statements they may need and want to make sure these assholes are actually arrested. That didn't end up being a problem because they refused a breathalyzer, so they were taken to the hospital where a blood alcohol level was obtained. I really wanted to know more, but the officer didn't elaborate. I kind of wish I would have called up and followed up on it. They never called me or anything to do anything in court, so I'm guessing they didn't need me, but it also means that they got away with only getting a DUI. I didn't realize this wasn't okay until way later, much too late to have done anything about it. All I know is the officer said they were all three sheets to the wind. God only knows what their intent was, but I was terrified to find out. And thank God for that damn bag cell phone. It could have saved my life. My ex-wife and I saw in plain sight a female cross the road in front of our car. We had to stop very quickly or we would hit her. This happened at around 9.30 p.m. We went back there the next morning and found where two three had been standing watching traffic to cross the road. From 20 through 2004, I heard many different calls from my bedroom from various times. The oddest at 9.30 a.m. This was the loudest call I had heard, and it sounded like it was lost or looking for a younger one that was lost. I have never heard a creature with such a lung capacity. The volume was incredible, and that was in broad daylight about half a mile from my home. It woke me up immediately, and I knew right away what it was. I have excellent audio tape recordings that I recorded as I heard them through a magnified microphone. Many times I had walked in the woods by the house and I felt the presence of them around me. I also found many footprints and the largest pile of feces that I had ever seen and my dog was very leery of that. My wife and I had planned a peaceful getaway to a cabin in a rural town nestled in the mountains. It was a much needed break from our busy lives, and we were excited to enjoy the serenity of nature. It was around 8 p.m. when we heard an air raid siren, which we assumed was related to a fire. The sound pierced the quiet evening, and it rang out for quite some time. We initially joked about it being the beginning of a zombie apocalypse. But as time passed, we couldn't help but feel a little uneasy. We didn't know what the siren was for, and our curiosity got the better of us. Deciding it was best to find out what was going on, I put on my coat and boots before venturing out into the chilly night. I walked down the road to a small grocery store nearby, hoping someone there might know the reason for the siren. As I entered the store, the warm air and bright lights provided a welcome contrast to the cold darkness outside. I approached the counter and asked the store clerk if they knew what the siren was for. 
To my surprise, they looked at me with a puzzled expression and replied, What siren? I couldn't believe that they hadn't heard it. I stepped back outside, expecting to hear the siren again, but it had stopped. The eerie silence that had returned was unsettling. I made my way back to the cabin, trying to make sense of what had just happened. Upon my return, I shared the strange encounter with my wife. We were both left with a lingering sense of unease, but we tried to brush it off and enjoy the rest of our stay. However, we couldn't help but wonder about that mysterious siren and why nobody else seemed to have heard it. The mystery of that night would stay with us long after we left the mountains. A few years back, I had this really creepy experience with an older co-worker of mine that still kind of shakes me to this day. It happened at this place that I'd been working at for a couple of years at that point. The place was a small factory of sorts, with only less than a handful of employees, including myself. One day though, my boss introduced us to this new, older guy that he'd brought in to start working in the other, newer side of the factory. You see, the factory where he worked had two different sides to it. One side for beeswax and one side for wood production. My boss had brought him in because they went to church together and the wood production on the other side had a religious significance. The new, older co-worker worked there with us for about one month before he approached me one day and introduced himself to me. He seemed like a nice guy and even came back to give me a Hershey kiss not long after that. A couple months later, I got asked by our boss if I could go pick up my new older co-worker, probably because his car was broken down or something. I agreed to it, so my boss asked me if it was okay to give the co-worker my phone number so that we could coordinate via text. I said it was fine and went on my way. I brought him back to the factory with no problems. Soon after that though, I started to get random and sporadic texts from him late at night. At first, the texts were just about us maybe hanging out soon, while simultaneously apologizing to me because he knew he was much older than I. But then the texts started to get pretty pervy, and they would be as long as a mini-book. The texts were just long, misspelled random, pervy compilations. I tried to just ignore the texts, but that only made them start coming more frequently. In the midst of all this one day, my roommates were scrounging for a ride to a casino only a few miles from our house. I gave them a few dollars for a ride, and they said that they'd find their own ride back. So imagine my surprise when they returned only a couple hours later with their own ride alright. Their ride was my creepy co-worker. Not only was I creeped the hell out that this pervy jerk now knew where I lived, but I also didn't know how he came to give my roommates that ride. Was it just sheer coincidence or something more? A few days after that, I went to visit a friend at his apartment that was located on our main street running through our small, historic downtown area. When I came downstairs from his apartment, as he was located on the second floor, I made my usual turn, walking on the sidewalk in front of all the main street shops. As I walked past one of the shops that was maybe two doors down from my friend's apartment, I thought I saw something out of the corner of my eye, but it couldn't be, could it? To my great dismay, it was him, 
my creepy-ass older co-worker standing in the doorway of one of the shops and smiling creepily at me from under a black top hat. A couple of weeks after that little incident, I noticed him again as I left my friend's apartment. He was just standing on the sidewalk with that same creepy grin plastered on his gaunt face. Since I had already informed my friend after the last incident, I simply texted him real quick to let him know the creep was back. I got into my car and left after sending the text, so I didn't find out until later that the creepy co-worker was gone by the time my friend got downstairs to the sidewalk. At that point though, the texts were still coming even faster than before. He was even threatening to come by my house if I didn't respond. Long, provocative texts dictating what he'd like to have happened between us if he did just happen to show up at my house. When I would see him during the day at work though, he would act as though everything were normal, giving no hint of his nighttime persona. After seeing him yet again as I left my friend's apartment, I just so happened to overhear a couple co-workers of mine standing around discussing how weird our new, older co-worker was. Right then, I stepped in and joined the convo, finally showing one of my other co-workers the text messages that the creep had been sending me. I had been working with that particular co-worker for a few years, but I didn't know him too well. He was one of those people who came off kind of grumpy and distant. Still, I told him and my other co-worker not to say anything. They both nodded in agreement, and we went our separate ways to finish up for the day. When I came into work the next day, though, my boss immediately called me into his office. My boss told me that he'd been informed of the situation and the texts, and he wanted to see my phone to read them. I told my boss that I didn't really want to get anyone in trouble, but he said that was besides the point, and that my situation needed to be addressed. My boss also stated that my older co-worker had no right or reason to be texting me and talking to me the way he was talking to me. The boss must have had a pretty good talk with him because all the crap stopped from the older co-worker after that. The other grumpy co-worker of mine apologized to me for saying something to the boss, but I completely understood and I was actually pretty grateful to him for that. I should have been the one to take the initiative to talk to the boss about it, but I was just too chicken. Fortunately though, that situation seemed to work out for all involved, because life went on as usual and everyone involved acted as though nothing had ever happened. Well, I can't really say that because that situation actually caused the grumpy co-worker and I to talk more and we started dating. We were together for about three years and then we got married. 